All right, today we're going to be looking at friendship evangelism. Yesterday we looked at uh, the Divine Commission, our role today in as Adventists, as Christians, the mission that God has given to us. But now we're going to practically apply that. What does it look like? How do I make friends in my community? How can I lead a friend to Jesus Christ? What if I don't have that many friends? How do I make friends? How do I build those relationships? But before we begin, please bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you not by might nor by power, but we are seeking for your spirit, Lord. Father, we surrender all to you. May you speak through me, Father. May you teach us. May you lead us is our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to the beautiful country of Costa Rica. Have you been to Central America before? Okay, a few of us. It is a beautiful, beautiful area, very lush, very humid. But they have my favorite fruit there, plenty of mangoes. <laughs> delicious, delicious fruit. And, and when I arrived in Costa Rica, I was going to be preaching for about a month there, doing a full evangelistic seminar. And they took us around one afternoon, and they were showing us the various sites that we would potentially be preaching at. And they pulled up in front of this quaint little church. It looked like a church you would see in the countryside in the States. And, and I remember sending up a prayer to God and saying, God, I hope that's not my church. <laughs> I want to have the real experience, the third world experience. I want to rough it. And God answered that prayer. You see, my church was in the middle of this town. It was in a warehouse. We had a metal roof and there were no sides to it. In other words, every night, my nightly attendance included the neighborhood dogs and roosters. (laughs) Imagine trying to preach while they're all climbing around and barking, right? Uh, Unfortunately, the toad really enjoyed our baptismal tank. Uh, That was a bit of a challenge, but it was a beautiful experience being there and getting to know the people and just the genuine experience in Costa Rica. I remember meeting this one church member by the name of Freddie. Freddie was the church member that you dream of. The church member that always shows up early. The church member that's always jumping to help wherever he can help. Always enthusiastic and had a passion for ministry. Freddie had these bright blue eyes that you just could not miss. Every night he'd bring along his daughter. She's about 10 years old. And she would come out to that seminar with her father. I remember asking one of the church members one night, is Freddie married? I, I notice he comes with his daughter, but I've never seen his wife. You know, what's the situation? And they said, oh, yes, he is, but his wife will have nothing to do with Adventists. We've invited her to social events, and she won't even come. She wants nothing to do with Adventists. Now imagine, here is this man that loves God. He is passionate about ministry. He's passionate about his local church, and his wife wants nothing to do with it. The family was split. I remember one night I was speaking, and I saw a woman come into the church, and she sat down next to Freddie, holding a little baby in her arms. At the end of the meeting, I was standing out front, and I was shaking hands as people left, and, and Freddie came up to me with his wife, Rosa. You see, she had come to the seminar that night because their baby was sick. She came because she had a spiritual need. She had a physical need, and she's bringing that baby. Can you please pray for my, bra- my baby? Please pray for my baby to be healed. We prayed over her child. The church members spent so much time just befriending her and coming close to her. 
I remember one person in, in particular was helping her meet the medical needs of that baby. Again, just really, really ministering to Rosa. And it made such a difference in her life. Here is this woman that wanted nothing to do with Adventists, not even social events. And now she's coming every single night to a prophecy seminar. The very last night, Rosa came to me and she said, Carissa, I have decided that I want to be baptized. Amen. Praise God. And I realized in that moment, that is the power of friendship evangelism. That is the power when someone comes to church or they come near to us and they have that physical need, that spiritual need. When we as a church come close to them, when we comfort them, when we pray for them, when we meet those needs, it truly saves lives. The power of friendship evangelism. I know that we're here because that is our passion, but I want to share with you also a few do's and don'ts, a few things we may want to consider as we begin to reach out to our neighborhood for Christ. A few warnings, if you will. Sir, while your wife finishes her shopping, perhaps you'd like to get ready to die. <laughs> How effective would that method be? Not so much. What about this next option? That man looks like he needs a track. The man's just thinking shallow thoughts. Bonsai! Believe or die! Take my track and believe! You must believe! He yells the man runs away in fright. Well, at least I sowed some seeds. Did he sow some seeds? Yes, <laughs> but not the good kind. Weed seeds, that works. So the next time someone comes up to him with a piece of literature, what is that man going to do? He is going to run and scream, right? Is that friendship evangelism? No. What is the role of relationships in witnessing? How do we come close to people and again nurture that relationship? I know it's the awe moment. <laughs> it's precious pictures. We're going to look again at Desire of Ages. This is page 151 to 152. It says that Jesus reached the hearts of people by going among them as one who desired their good. He sought them. In order to reach all classes, we must meet them where they are. They will seldom seek us of their own accord. Notice, who was doing the seeking here? Jesus. Jesus sought them. Often we think, well, if we just put up a nice sign in front of our church and we just invite people to come that way, our church will be filled. But does it happen that way? No. Christ's method was he sought them. He brought them. He came close to them. Now notice it said as well, in order to reach all classes, we must meet them where they are. That's become somewhat of a catchphrase in Christendom at large, meeting people where they are. How did Jesus meet people where they were? Did he ever lower his standards? Did he change his beliefs? No. So then what does it mean that he met someone where they were? Can you give me an example of someone Jesus met where they were? Matthew. Absolutely. He came close to them, to him specifically. The woman at the well. She's an untouchable. How dare you even touch a cup that that Samaritan woman has touched? That is unclean. Who else? 
Levi? Yes, absolutely. Leprosy. We were talking about that earlier today, where he actually touched the lepers. Now, I'm not a huge fan of germs, right? (laughs) And we all know leprosy. Who would touch a leper? Particularly the Jews back then. If you touch a leper, you can't come into the sanctuary. You are unclean. They throw food at the lepers. They don't come close to those people. And yet Jesus touched them. He came close to them. Who else? He fed the multitudes. Yeah, okay, with the fishermen. He's telling them where to throw the nets so they can catch the fish. Good. And he, was he a fisherman? He was a carpenter. He was coming close to them. You said the feeding of the 5,000 or... Yeah, absolutely. Jesus was the one baking the, or breaking the bread. He's coming close to them. So Jesus meets them where they are. I think also of John chapter 3, when Jesus met with Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus, was he a little concerned about being in the presence of God? A little concerned about his reputation, maybe? What are people going to think of me if they see me with that man called Jesus? He would only come and he would meet him at night in the garden. You see, Jesus could have said, well, if you want to hear what I have to say, you come to to the mount where I'm having my sermon. Right? You come out in the daylight. You expose yourself there, right? Come and join the whole multitude. But he knew that Nicodemus wasn't ready for that. He wasn't fully surrendered yet. So he met him where he was. Sure, Nicodemus, if that's what it takes, I'll meet you in the middle of the night in the garden where no one can see you. And because Jesus met him where he was, later Nicodemus stood faithful as a follower of Jesus Christ. Christ's method alone, this is Ministry of Healing, page 143. We referenced it yesterday as well. She tells us Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs and won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. Notice that before we can win someone's confidence, we have to make friends with them. We have to mingle with them. We have to come close. Before we can ask someone to follow Christ, we have to win their confidence. It's a process. Here are the three portions to effective evangelism. If we want to just break it down, here it is. First, make friends. And people say evangelism is so hard. The first step in evangelism is make friends. Secondarily, by God's grace, we win their confidence. And then we have an opportunity to share the word. Now, as Adventists, which one of these three are we typically the strongest at? Sharing the word. We can tell you all about Daniel and Revelation. Let me give you a Bible study on the Mark of the Beast. We can share the word. But did we first make friends? Did we mingle with them? Did we win their confidence? Then we share the word. I remember I was helping at the prophecy seminar in the Sacramento area. And there was this one woman that came in to the meeting opening night. Now, have you ever seen someone come into church and they are clearly being dragged there by their friends? Have you seen that? Okay. Maybe your churches are a little more gracious. But for Diane, here she was coming to church, and she had never stepped into an Adventist church before. And she's coming for this prophecy seminar. Her friends had invited her, and and she was nervous. 
I could see her looking back and forth. She's looking for the exits in case she has to make her escape. I don't know what stories are told about churches, but apparently we eat people or something. Uh, She was terrified, but she was coming. And so the greeters and also the other attendees, the church members, right away started to make friends with Diane. Again, just trying to practice that friendship evangelism, come close to her and, and get to build that relationship. A few nights into the program, Diane stopped by the registration booth where we were working, and, and she had brought a huge basket of mandarins. Have you had mandarins before? California specialty, yeah, it's, it's the best. My grandparents give us delicious mandarins every year, which I probably shouldn't say because now you're going to be begging for them, but they are, they are delicious, and, and that's been a family treat. And, and when she put them on our, on our table, we were very appreciative, most definitely, but we also saw it was a good sign. What did it show us? Yeah, there's a, there's a connection there. We've won our confidence. She was concerned, like she cared. Yeah, and she brought those mansions to us, and again, we were excited. And that next night for the prophecy seminar, we returned that basket to her with a fresh loaf of banana bread inside. When Diane got that basket, she started to cry. I didn't expect you to do that for me. That was so sweet. She was so appreciative of the people at the registration table. Just a loaf of bread. That's it. But it made such a difference in her life. Diane continued to come to the prophecy seminar. And at the end, she made that commitment to give all to Jesus and join that local church. This woman that is terrified to enter into the doors is now a member. Praise God. Praise God, the effect of coming close to people. We're going to look at how Jesus met all types of needs. And these are needs that, of course, exist today. Needs that we, as God's people, can also meet. In John chapter 2, Jesus met a social need. A social need. What was his first miracle? The wedding. Turning the water into wine. Now, was that a life or death need? No. They could drink water. They would survive, right? But he's meeting the social needs. He's coming close. He's mingling with the people. And of course, there's a lot of symbolism to that miracle as well. But Jesus is meeting a social need. John chapter 3, Jesus meets a spiritual need. Late at night in the garden, Jesus met a man by the name of Nicodemus. He tells this man, for God so loved the world. He told this man that you must be reborn to come into the kingdom of God. Jesus was meeting his spiritual need. John chapter 4, we see that Jesus meets an emotional need. That is when he met the woman at the well, the woman that everyone else would avoid, the woman who had had five husbands. She was currently with a man that was not her husband. And it was not until she met that seventh man, Jesus Christ, that she finally had purpose and fulfillment in her life. Jesus met that emotional need. And because he met that emotional need, The door opened for the spiritual need as well, did it not? In John chapter 5 and John 6, Jesus meets physical needs. The man that was healed by the pool of Bethesda, as we spoke about last night. And then also the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus meets all different types of needs. We too are called 
to meet all different types of needs. I've heard people explained as an onion. I prefer to think of a rose. But we have many layers, do we not? And sometimes we want to dive right in and I'm going to meet that spiritual need. But what we may need to do is step back and first, how can I reach their physical needs? How can I minister to their emotional needs? And when you've done these things and you've won their confidence as Christ did, then it is so easy to reach the center. If you try to take a rosebud and you're peeling back the layers, does it work too well? Have you tried to do that before? As a kid, you take a rosebud and you're pulling it out. Does it work? It's never going to look as pretty as if you had just let it be and let it naturally open. And it's the same with relationships. We want to get that spiritual need, but first we have to meet all those other layers. Minister those layers and then you'll meet that spiritual need. Does that make sense? Okay. We see that the Lord's method is to be followed. Revelation chapter 3 says that Jesus is standing at the door and he's doing what? He's knocking. Notice it does not say, ready or not, here I come. As he kicks open that front door. Does Jesus force himself on anyone? No. He's going to stand and knock and he's going to be persistent, but he's not going to come in unless we open that door. And it's the same with us. We can't force religion down someone's throat. I want you to be a Christian. Of course we want them to be a Christian. But they have to make that decision. I remember hearing Sean Buntra say the following. When we are going out doing evangelism, we are not looking for people to convert. We are not looking for people to convert. We are looking for the people who God is already converting. Do you see the difference there? I'm not going out saying, I'm going to convert that person, that person, that person, that person. I'm not the one that does the converting. Who does the converting? The Holy Spirit. When we go out, we are praying, God, who is it that you're already converting? Whose heart are you already working in? God, help me to work with you. Show me those divine appointments. Christian Service, page 116. It counsels us, go to our neighbors one by one. Come close to them till their hearts are warmed by unselfish interest and love. Unselfish interest and love. Notice she puts unselfish interest. Does that mean that even in evangelism we could be selfish? How so? There you go. Yes, absolutely. I need to mark it off my list. Yeah, got another, another uh, jewel on my crown, right? Want another soul. Mission accomplished. I want to fill up those pews at church. We need a more tithe base, right? Greater tithe base. Unselfish interest and love. Can people tell, it, can people tell if you have an agenda? Oh, yeah. You ever had someone try to become a friend with you because they knew you had connections? They knew that if you were friends, then maybe you could help them get that job they wanted. I have three sisters. I could always tell when a guy was trying to become friends with me because he wanted to date my sister. Does that make you feel valued? 
Oh, how precious of you. (laughs) Right? That's an agenda. Instead, we want to come close to people because we love Jesus Christ, and because we love Christ, we love others. It's not just, well, I greet you at the door, and then I hope you enjoy the rest of your experience because my job's done. But it's coming close with that unselfish interest and love. She continues, sympathize with them, pray with them, watch for opportunities to do them good. And as you can, gather a few together and open the word of God to their darkened minds. Coming close, reaching out, mingling, sympathizing. Those are common themes we're seeing again and again. All right, so what are some very practical, simple ways that we can actually help in our community? Again, we're supposed to be looking for ways to help many different needs in your community. Something such as baking bread or cookies. Something that is so simple, but it makes a huge difference. It's a great way to get to know the neighbors. Granted, if you can't bake, please buy the bread, right? (laughs) We don't want to poison the neighbors. That has an opposite effect. Uh, Yeah, but it makes a difference when you you show that you spent time. I spent time making this for you. I care about you. You're important to me. Baking bread or cookies. Visiting the sick. You know, we never think about that until we're the one that's sick. Our family member is the one in the hospital. And then we truly value it when someone comes and visits us. Invite friends home and, of course, share God's love. I want to bring out briefly inviting friends home. Have you ever had someone ask you before? So uh, you're a Seventh-day Adventist. What do you do at church all day? What do you do on Saturday? You go to church, you take a nap, and what do you do all day long? You can't do this, you don't do that, you don't do this. Isn't it boring? You ever had someone ask ask you that before? I have. My new favorite response, come and see. Come and see. Come spend a Sabbath with my family. Come and experience it for yourself, and then you can see what you think of it. Come and see. In fact, recently I met a woman by the name of Heather. Some friends of mine had been out doing outreach, knocking on doors, and they had met Heather. They started a conversation with her, and they offered Bible studies, and Heather readily accepted. The next week when they came to her house, they were quite startled. You see, Heather was deeply entrenched in spiritualism. Imagine being in someone's home, and you're seeing all the articles of their faith around you. Deeply entrenched in spiritualism, and you're giving a Bible study to them. There were a lot of prayers that went into that Bible study. You could feel the great controversy. In every single Bible study, Heather was accepting more truth. Every single Bible study, she was making one more little decision for Jesus Christ until finally she did accept him as her Lord and Savior. She turned away from the spiritualism, and she's wanting that new life. Heather began to come to the Prophecy Seminar, and she learned about the Sabbath. And so naturally, she was excited about her new faith, and she made the decision to start keeping the Sabbath. But all she had heard so far, you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't do this, you don't do that. And she was starting to think that Sabbath did not sound like fun. So that first Sabbath that she had, 
uh, some friends of mine, we all got together and we said, hey, let's, let's have a great first Sabbath with you. And we had a nice fellowship lunch, and then we had afternoon out in nature, and we're telling miracle stories, and we had vespers, and we were playing music and singing songs and reading a little devotional thought, and just a typical beautiful Sabbath day. But to her, it was all brand new. I remember that night before she left, she told us, I didn't know the Sabbath could be so much fun. I can't wait until the next Sabbath. Come and see. I could preach all day, but the best response, come and see, come and experience what Sabbath is really like in each one of our lives. You know, a lot of times we look at it as a list of don'ts, but it's not. No. I tell everybody it's a huge list of do's. Absolutely. I mean, let's look at it a different way. Mm-hmm. The things that we do. Mm-hmm. Because it is a turnoff, you're right. A lot of but if they experience, I appreciate you bringing that up, but if they experience it and they see what a blessing it is, then they're like, wow, okay, I'm happy I don't do those. I'd love to do all of this. That's what Larry was saying. If we have the day, but do we have the way? Yeah. The thing is that you have to also look at your own Sabbath experience, and are you making it into what the Sabbath experience is? Right. We had someone come new to our church, and when we started going out to a, to a place to do karaoke for the, for the, for the sick in this, in this home um, that we did, they were going, wow, this is cool what you're doing. Sure. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, a, it's just a, the things you can do to make more mm-hmm. Come and see. Come and experience it. She was explaining about how uh, she had someone come to her church, and they were doing, they were singing at a rest home, I believe it is. And so when the person experienced that, they're like, wow, this is fun. This is nice. Uh, and again, it's just a beautiful picture of the Sabbath. We have to refocus what is the meaning, what is the purpose, help others to experience that as well. Each one of us has something called a circle of influence. Can you hear me okay still? Circle of influence. Desire of Ages, page 141. We're going to look at an example of this. It says, John the Baptist directed two of his disciples to Christ. Then one of these, Andrew, found his brother, and he called him to the Savior. Philip was then called, and he went in search of Nathaniel. These examples should teach us the importance of personal effort of making direct appeals to our kindred, our friends, and our neighbors. Each of us has a circle of influence, people that we can reach that someone else can't. Someone knocking on their door, offering Bible studies, they won't open that door. But if you offer Bible studies to them, they'd be excited. They would open uh, their hearts to that message. So who is within our circle of influence? What type of people? Who is in your circle of influence? Family. Yes. Who else? Your friends, certainly. Co-workers. Yeah. Your banker, sure. Why not? Yes. Grocery store clerk. Acquaintances that you have in the community. Absolutely. We have listed here family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, acquaintances, classmates. All of those are people that we've already won their confidence. We've already mingled. We've already sympathized. We've come close to them. And now is our opportunity to share Christ with them. Sure, why not? Use Facebook for outreach, absolutely. So how do you get to know people? Maybe you're, you're thinking about your circle of influence and you're saying, I'm not really influencing that many people. It's rather small. How do I reach more people? How do I build more relationships? First step in getting to know someone is ask questions. 
ask questions. People like to talk about themselves, don't they? They enjoy pulling out their wallet and showing all the pictures of the grandkids. People like to talk about themselves, ask questions. And where you can relate, again, you're sharing with them about your own experiences. Now, is there a difference between asking questions and interrogating? Absolutely. My dad is an investigator for the state. There's a big difference between asking questions and interrogating. Where do you work? Why do you work there? How long have you worked there? Where is it? Might be a little intimidating, right? So ask questions, but also share about yourself. Do it in a casual manner. Listen, 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 listen. So often we think we're listening, but we're missing what's really being said. Or, as I'm going to share with you in a moment, what's not being said. Listen, listen, listen. So easy to say. But I, I think we have to stack back sometimes and realize again, remind ourselves that evangelism is not about us. It's not about us. It's about Christ and about reaching souls for him. Listen, listen, listen. Setting ourselves aside. And then lastly, share what God has done for you. A few years ago, I was out uh, doing surveys, knocking on doors, offering healthy living programs and also Bible studies in the community. And I had a friend of mine, and he was terrified. He, didn't, he was concerned about what to say at the door and, and how do you talk with people, and he was just really nervous. And so I told him, yeah, I'll go with you. We can, we can go out together this one afternoon. And so we went, again, door by door, and we, we came to this one house that is a canvasser's nightmare. Have any of you ever done canvassing before? Okay, very good. You know that house that has the chain link fence out front? The one with the no trespassing signs? Beware of dogs, and it has those yapping, fierce dogs out in the front yard. And you're thinking, I don't want to go in there. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. But here I was training him on how to do outreach, and I'm thinking, I can't appear afraid. I have to be bold, right? I mean, the angel shut the mouth of the lions. Surely he can shut the mouth of these fierce dogs. You're not thinking so much, huh? Yeah. (laughs) And in that moment, neither were we. We stood there looking at each other like, who's going to go for it? Because I'm not. But about that time, a woman came running out of her house, and she was just about as fierce as those dogs. What are you doing here? Get out of here. We had not gone onto her property at all. We were just walking towards it, and, and she was not happy. And so, of course, we're, we're going to respect that. And, and my friend, he was nervous again, and he froze. All he could think about we're Christians. We're wanting to get Bible studies. Here's the Bible study. And he threw the first lesson into her stomach. Can you imagine what her reaction was? Get out! That was not going to work. Door closed. And, and naturally, what are we going to do? We're going to respect that. I'm not going to force, I'm not going to knock open that door, Right? And so I'm walking away. But as I'm walking away, I'm turning my head back, (laughs) trying to keep a conversation going. And as I'm walking away, I remember noticing in her front yard, she had all these wind chimes. 
Now, wind chimes are nice. They're, they're pretty. It's not my favorite thing in the world. It's not my passion or my hobby. But obviously, it was important to her. And so as I'm walking away, right, looking back, I said, that's a beautiful wind chime. And she looked at me, she said, you like it? Yeah. Oh, I got that one from this friend and that one from that family member. And I got that one from that state and that one from this place. Do you see what happened? Suddenly, without her even knowing it, we had a conversation started. So now I am walking back (laughs) slowly because now we're talking. And then from there, after talking about the wind chimes for some time and how long she's been in the area, we started to talk about those cute little dogs, right? So what kind of dog is that? Oh, nice, okay. And how long have you had that dog? Oh, about five years. And, and I've had that one since it was a puppy. And, and that one I got a few months ago when my daughter passed away. Got it. Now I understand. Here's a woman whose daughter passed away. A woman who is likely crying out to God and saying, God, save my daughter, don't let her die. Probably angry at God, angry at Christians. And now here two Christians come and we literally shove Bible study material at her. Naturally, what would she do? Reject. The wall comes up. Get out. Not interested. And it wasn't until we we listened, we really listened, we could hear what was really being said. We had an opportunity to talk with her more and share because by that point we had become friends. And before we left that afternoon, we were able to leave her a little glow track, does God care when I'm suffering? What a difference friendship evangelism can make. Truly, it's the power of God. Asking questions, coming close, can change someone's life. We're going to do something here so we can get some fresh air and move around. Uh, We're going to be looking at a principle called fort. Have you heard of it before? You've heard of fort? Good. Okay, this practice will go easy then. What we're looking at is for some of us, we may think, you know, I have my close friends, my church buddies, but, but how do I make friends with a complete stranger? That person that's sitting next to me on the airplane, that neighbor down the street, that visitor that walks into church looking around for the exit on Sabbath morning. How do I make friends with them? How do I come close to them? I often use something here called FORT. FORT stands for Family, Occupation, Religion, and Testimony. This helps to lead it to a spiritual conversation. Family, Occupation, Religion, Testimony. What kind of questions could we ask them about their family? Do you have any children? How many children do you have? What else could we ask? Yeah, did you come with a family member? Good. What else? Yes. Yes. Right. Show your familiarity that you're interested in her. Right. Most of the people I have contacted over the years 
Good. So he shared an example of how if he's in someone's house, he's going to be commenting on the pictures on the wall and just showing that you have interest in them, uh, whatever obviously they are interested in. Okay, family, what other questions can we ask? Where are you from? How long have you lived in that area? These are just a few questions you can ask. What area were you raised? Are you originally from this area? What about occupation? What are two or three questions we could ask? What do you do for a living? What else? (laughs) We don't want to ask them how much they make. Okay, that's a little too personal. (laughs) What do you do for a living? Yes. Okay. Not say, what do you do for a living? Because what if she's a homemaker? You know what I mean? And it makes it look like she doesn't work. Right. Yeah, okay, good. What type of work do you do? Yeah, we certainly don't want to devalue that role. So, thank you. Okay, um, here are a couple examples. What kind of work do you do? How long do you work there? What type of work did you do if they're retired? Do you like your work? What are your passions? How did you get into that line of work? These are all some questions, again, and you want to share as you're talking with them. Now, I'm going to be very stereotypical here for a moment, so forgive me. But typically speaking, if I was to talk to a woman, typically speaking, stereotypical again, bear with me, which of these two areas would she be more likely to jump on? Family. And for men, what is all-encompassing? Occupation. They could talk for hours on what type of work they do, right? The job is so important to them. It's the identity. So I'm going to, again, kind of zero in that conversation. Now, let's say that I'm talking to someone, and we're talking about their family. Oh, so how many kids do you have? Okay. How long have you lived in the area? Uh-huh. What type of work do you do? Uh-huh. Is that the purpose for this? No, not at all. The purpose is just to get a conversation started. Just to build that friendship, to break the ice, and then by God's grace, you can lead it to more of a spiritual conversation. Again, also, we're listening. So the woman with the wind chimes, once I learned that her daughter passed away, I didn't start asking her about her garden. That's irrelevant. We want to stay at where she's at and meet that spiritual need. Next, we have religion. So do you find much time to attend a church in this area? You could ask them if they have a spiritual background. And if they say, yes, you know, I'm, I'm Catholic. or Well, have you been Catholic all your life? Again, you're just trying to learn more about them and about their background. I also personally like to study into some of these different religions and find out what are some common things between Adventist and that religion. Because then I can share, oh, I appreciate that. I know that you really value health and family, and that's so important to me as well. I want to try and connect on that level. Now, notice how that first question is phrased. If I was to come to you and I said, so do you go to church? (laughs) How would you feel? Yeah, threatened. I am putting you on the spot. If you don't go to church, you're going to lie about it, right? And I committed a couple sins, yeah? Uh, Because you're uncomfortable. And now there's no relationship there. But if I ask them, so do you find much time to attend a church in the area? I am giving them an excuse. I know life is busy. There's a lot going on. It's stressful. Do you happen to find time? 
Either way, I'll know the answer, and that's all I'm looking for. Just see where their spiritual uh, experience is. All right, F stands for family. O stands for occupation. R stands for religion. Okay, that one was louder. It's still on the screen, so that's cheating. All right, and T stands for testimony. Testimony. Uh, Just very briefly here, two-minute testimony. How do you share your testimony? You know, for some of us, we may have had 80, 90 years of testimony. We have maybe had such a large experience, and we're wondering, how do you condense that? How do you share that briefly? Maybe for some of us, we're wondering whether you even have a testimony. Well, you know, I never did drugs. I never went to those clubs. I I never lived in a cave. Do you have a testimony? Absolutely. Absolutely. Did Daniel have a testimony? Daniel, for all intents and purposes, was a good Adventist boy. Was he not? He believed all the same things that we believe today. He was faithful. He never turned away from the faith. He stood true for God. A good Seventh-day Adventist boy. Did he have a testimony? Without a doubt. It's a testimony experience that has changed lives, millions and millions of lives. It is the Bible study that we give. Never underestimate your testimony. We spoke yesterday about how God comforts us in our time of trouble so that we can comfort others with the comfort that we've received from God. Remember that? 2 Corinthians 1. You have a testimony. How would God have you to share it? Praying for those divine appointments. So again, just to make our testimony a little more to the point uh, and not two hours worth of testimony. Again, we don't want to wear the person out. Here's how I break it down. First, I'm going to start with my life before Christ. So what was your life like before you became a Christian? Okay, lonely. What are some other descriptors you might be able to throw out there? Mundane, just boring. Sinful, okay? You just weren't at peace, not fulfilled. Maybe there was a divorce in your home. Whatever it could be that led you to that experience for Jesus Christ. The next portion is, how did you meet Jesus? Did a friend invite you to church? Did you read a scripture and suddenly it made sense? It clicked. I remember, again, I was raised in a great Christian home, and and my whole life, I had heard that Jesus died for me. Well, that's nice. Jesus died for everyone else, too. That felt so impersonal. And it wasn't until a friend shared with me Isaiah chapter 53 about how Christ is bruised for my iniquities, how by his stripes I am healed. Suddenly the gospel made sense to me. I remember I would be in my room and I would read that chapter through four or five times, just soaking in, wow, this is what God goes through for me. This is what Jesus has suffered for me. It became personal. When did you truly meet Christ? And then next, what's your life like since Christ? I just walk on clouds all day long, never a worry, never a care. Is that true? No, do we still have struggles? Are there still trials? 
Yes. But do we know the one who calms the storm? The one who says, give me your burdens. I want to carry them. Right? Life is so different now. Now we have peace, even though sometimes the future is scary. Then we remember that God is the one in control. He knows my future and he cares about me. Okay, so we want to be realistic, but also show the beauties of that Christian walk you have with God. What is your testimony? Pray for those divine appointments today. One other point I want to bring out briefly. I had a friend who was sharing his testimony to a group of teenagers. And he's sharing about his wild life before he became a Christian. You know, the partying and the music and the alcohol and the girls. And now I'm a Christian. God is good. God is good. The teens leave that camp wanting to do which of those two things? Well, that sounds like a lot more fun than being a Christian. Are we glorifying sin? So in our testimony, we should share our experience. What is the depth that God has brought us from? But where is our passion? Which part of the story do we love? Are we more excited today about our walk with Jesus Christ? Again, just make sure our focus is in the right place. Yes, please. Every victory that we have in Jesus is a source of a testimony. Absolutely. Good. Everything we surrender to Christ, every victory, whether it's learning to eat vegetarian or whatever it is, it changes us. Good. And we have a story to tell. I appreciate you bringing up a very important point. Um, as we're sharing about the testimony, it does not need to be limited to your conversion experience. In fact, the most powerful Christians are the ones who, when asked to share their testimony, can share about how God has worked in their life that very day, how God has transformed their heart that very week, right? And so your testimony doesn't have to be how you met Jesus so much as maybe a trial that came up in your life, uh, something you were struggling with, how God gave you victory and the hope that you now have in him. Okay, so I appreciate you bringing that out. That's, that's true, and that's very important. Those are the three aspects. No matter what part of the testimony we're sharing, we can break it up into those three sections uh, just to, again, condense it some. Yes? Good. Good. Excellent. She's bringing out that when we're wanting to share a testimony, we need to pray, God, what would you have me to say? Because you know their heart. I don't. You know what they need to hear. Help me to share the story that they need to know. Now, if I'm going to be, let's say that I'm giving a Bible study to someone that is struggling with crack cocaine, right? He wants the victory over it. He's high as a kite. And I'm sharing and I'm saying, you know, I understand what you're going through. I fully understand you do? Oh, yeah. I used to be really addicted to tofu. So addicted to tofu. How would that man feel in that moment? Oh, you understand. No, I certainly have belittled him. It's the same as struggling with tofu. It's not the same. And so if you can't relate, who do we point them to? Jesus Christ. 
Christ is always the solution. He is the answer. He has struggled in all points. No, he was never struggled with crack cocaine, but how can he relate to that temptation? How many days did he go without eating? Over 40 days without eating. Again, we see Christ that was on the cross, and he could have gotten down. He was struggling. He was beat, right? So he knows what it's like to deal with temptation. His body is crying out for water. He understands. You could share with them also a testimony of one of your friends who maybe went through a similar experience and how they found victory. But again, always center that victory in Jesus Christ. You know, for the sake of time, you might actually not have the opportunity to practice this. I hope that doesn't disappoint you too much. I was going to have everyone get up and practice this, um, but it seems like we're rather comfy in our chairs anyways. So what I'm going to do is a different challenge. There are people here at camp meeting that are here by themselves. Maybe they came with their family and this is their first year and they don't know anyone. They're feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe they're new to the church and they were told they should go to some program where you pitch a tent and you all hang out and sing songs, right? This could be brand new to them. Find someone here at camp meeting and practice fort with them. Can you accept that challenge? Okay, I heard like three yeses. <laughs> Find someone here. Meet someone. Practice fort, family, occupation, religion, testimony. Become friends with them. Share with them about your own experience in Jesus Christ. I'm going to focus back on the testimony portion here briefly. Recently, I was out in the community and I was advertising a a local healthy cooking seminar that was coming up at a church. And I I wasn't the church I attend, but a nearby church. And and I was knocking on doors for this, okay? And the first door that we came to, the woman opened the door and, and we shared with her about the healthy cooking program. And she seemed somewhat interested until we shared that it was going to be at such and such a church. And suddenly that wall went up going on here? But that wall was up. And so we knew that we didn't want to talk about that anymore, and we just became kind of friends with her. Again, we're just going to try and build that relationship, see what the challenge is. And and after some time, she actually invited us to come into her house. And so we went inside, and we sat down, and we just chatted with with this young woman. Before we left, I had the opportunity to offer Bible studies to her, and she accepted. She was excited to, to try it out. That next week, I came back for the Bible study. Now, as I mentioned yesterday, when I give a Bible study, I typically start with Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. I had that Bible study prepared. So easy for me, right? I can just give that Bible study. But I was so impressed that is not the Bible study I need to give. God, I don't have time to put together another Bible study. What Bible study am I supposed to give? That's the one I always give. But I was so impressed that is not the message she needs to hear. And so I said, okay, Lord, if that's not the message, then what is it she needs to hear? Because I don't know. I don't know how to reach her heart. And the Lord strongly impressed me that she needs to hear about a walk of faith. She needs to hear about her own personal walk with God, about how God answers prayers and he is with us during the struggles and the challenges, that God wants a personal relationship with us. So I began to put together a Bible study based off the life of Abraham and how God led him even when the future seemed so unclear, 
how Abraham had that close walk with Jesus Christ. That next week, I came for the Bible study, and it wasn't too long into Bible study when she began to open up to me about her testimony. You see, she had had quite a rough childhood. She had never heard the words, I love you. Her first husband had been extremely abusive, and she was able to, again, divorce him, get out of that situation. And it wasn't until she met this other man that she first heard the words, I love you. He was so caring. He was so considerate. He was always there for her, always meeting her needs, always bringing those flowers and chocolate. She was so happy to become his wife. Now, she had several, a few children from the previous marriage, and and it was wonderful because this man was a Seventh-day Adventist man, and he loved those children. He would bring them to Sabbath school. He would bring them to Pathfinders. He was the spiritual leader because, you you see, she was not Seventh-day Adventist. She was just going to church because that's what he did. Until one day, her granddaughters came to her with the startling news. Grandpa's been hurting us in the worst way possible, okay? So they had been abused. Can you imagine getting that news from the only man that has ever said, I love you? She confronted her husband, and yes, it was true. And now he is serving time behind bars. He was the Adventist Christian in the family. He was the spiritual leader. And so now, for several years, she has refused to go to church. It brings back those memories, and so she is hiding at home, and she is crying out to God. How incredible it was to see her bring out her dusty Bible, (laughs) open those pages once again, and hear that beautiful story of redemption in Jesus Christ. You see, I wanted to come in with prophecy, I was going to share Daniel too, but that was not the message she needed to hear at that moment. How could I possibly know her testimony? How could I possibly know that? But if we are, by God's grace, open to his spirit and saying, God, teach me what I should say. Instruct me, lead me, guide me. God will. God will open up the doors and give us the words to speak that that person needs to hear. Did you have Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The Holy Spirit is the answer. Being in tune with the Holy Spirit. That's the power of God. Please pray for that Bible study we're continuing to study together. Uh, So please keep that in prayer. There's a lot of healing that needs to happen. I'm going to jump over here real briefly. We're going to go through it rather quickly. But how to get Bible studies. Again, we want to make friends. We want to build those relationships. But how do you turn that into a spiritual conversation? How do you go that next step and actually offer, hey, I have some incredible Bible study lessons. I think you'll really enjoy them. How do we share that with others? Now, is the only option for getting Bible studies going around and knocking on doors? No. That's not the only option. There are so many options at hand for us. Let me give you just a few examples. The first would be a church visitor list. Many of our churches will have a, a guest book, And they bring it out from the drawer every Sabbath. They put it out there so everyone can sign their autograph. They close that book and they put it back in the drawer. Is that the purpose of the guest book? No. No, it's not the purpose. The purpose is to then go and visit these people. 
bring them that loaf of bread or a little book and say it was so nice to have you this past Sabbath. We wanted to let you know about some other programs we have coming up. Hope to see you there. Just building that continual relationship with them. Missing members. Most of us know someone, a family member, a friend, that's no longer attending church for whatever reason. Maybe they were offended by someone in the church. Maybe life just gets busy. They've lost their focus, whatever it could be. How do we reach them again? Uh, It's crucial. We need to start with the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That was Christ's method, coming close to them once again. The youth in the church, spouses or family of established church members, so the member is going, but the family not interested, reaching them as well. And then, of course, door-to-door outreach, such as GLOW and doing surveys. Um, If you'd like to know more about that, feel free to talk with me. I can give you some ideas and also some surveys if you'd like. Yes. You know what? What I can do, if you are interested in the notes from this PowerPoint, I can send you this PDF. So if you would like, uh, you can write down my email or ask me for it later, and then just email me, ask me for this PDF, and I'll just send it off your way. My email is cmcsherry at amazingfacts.org. That is c-m-c-s-h-e-r-r-y at amazingfacts, with an s, dot org. Okay, again, we are told in the Bible that there are many ripe fruits. We are told that the harvest is ripe, but the labors are few. The workers are few. How many of you have ever done gardening before? Wow, very good. What happens to ripe fruit if you don't pick it? It's going to rot. The worms are going to eat it. Ripe fruit rots if we don't pick it. You know, it's the same with spiritual fruit. When someone is ripe, when they are under conviction, when they have a desire for spiritual things, if we don't pick that fruit, it's going to rot. That interest will go away. The devil will create five million ways to distract them. We need to pick the fruit when they are ripe. I have a couple ideas listed here for creative ministries. Essentially, whatever your church is already doing, capitalize on it. Turn it into a program that can actually lead to a spiritual event, lead to a prophecy seminar, lead to a small group Bible study, whatever it could be. Uh, Finance seminars. Are people a little concerned about their finances these days? Oh, you better believe it. So many people from all different classes would appreciate a free class on how to manage their finances. Vacation Bible school. Often we see vacation Bible school as a one-time event. You come out for this week, all the kids from the neighborhood come, they enjoy it for this week, and then see you next year. But you see, the purpose for VBS is, again, we want to bring in that continuing spiritual influence throughout the year. You've already built those relationships. The kids love you. The parents appreciate you taking them off their hands. Right? And so now you can transfer into that spiritual conversation. So why not offer to them? Well, you know, I know VBS has been such a blessing and your family's really enjoyed it. And, and we've decided that we're going to continue this program. Every single week, once a week, we're going to have a special VBS program. In fact, what about, you know, Saturday morning, 9.30 a.m.? It's called Sabbath School. 
right? Invite those kids to come and experience it. And of course, you don't want the parents to sit in the, in the parking lot. Invite them to come in as well. Have a special Sabbath for them. Family Life Weekend, uh, Depression Recovery or Stop Smoking Program. And here's another one that's very popular. A cooking school or dinner with the doctor. People are concerned about their finances, but they're also concerned about their health. What's happening with the healthcare system? What's it going to be like next year? They're concerned. And so people want medical advice, but they don't have the finances to afford it. If you have a physician at your church, offer, again, to your community, dinner with the doctor. The doctor will come and give a brief health lecture. We'll have a great vegetarian meal together. And then afterwards, you can ask questions from the doctor. People really, really enjoy that method. Again, whatever your strengths are, just use them. (laughs) Capitalize on that. Whatever your talents are, use it for the glory of God. Now we're going to focus in in the last few moments we have together on, again, building those relationships. What do you do if you're in a Bible study or you try to make friends with your neighbor or the person that just came to the church for the first time? And they're saying some pretty crazy things. How do you build relationships? How do you come close to them? Where do you start? This is from Evangelism, page 446. And it says, Here is a lesson for all our ministers, call porters, and missionary workers. When you meet those who, like Nathaniel, are prejudiced against the truth, do not urge your peculiar views too strongly. Talk with them at first of subjects upon which you can agree. Where can you agree? What is that common ground? She continues, bow with them in prayer, and in humble faith present your petitions at the throne of grace. Both you and they will be brought into a closer connection with heaven. Prejudice will be weakened, and it'll be easier to reach the heart. Amen? Amen. All right, so we're seeing here someone comes to us, and they're saying all these interesting things, and and we're wanting to prove things to them. Show them how they're wrong. Where are we supposed to start, according to this quote? Where do you agree? What do you have in common? What are those similarities? Now, how does this practically apply? Now, remember, it was said about Christ that a withered reed he did not break, a smoking flax he did not quench. What does that mean? A withered reed he did not break. What does that mean? Sorry? Right, he's not going to injure their emotions. He's not going to crush them. He was gentle with them. Absolutely. You know, we look at someone and we say, oh, that person. But we don't know what's really going on in their heart. We don't know the struggles and the challenges they're facing. And Christ knew how to be gentle, how to meet those needs. There's a principle here. Never tear down a shack of errors until you have built a mansion of truth. Never tear down a shack of errors until you have built a mansion of truth. We like to go in there. We want to tear apart that shack. And yes, it's error, but that's all they have. They feel safe in that. Imagine if I was to go to a homeless man out in the rain like today, and I was to take that cardboard box and rip it away from him. What would he do? 
He's going to be yelling out, wanting that cardboard box back. It's just a cardboard box. But that's all he has. Don't tear down that shack of errors until you have built a mansion of truth. Until you have shown how beautiful God's way is. How beautiful the promises are, the truth that we hold dear. Don't tear down their shack of errors. I'll give you an example of that. Let's say that I'm having a first Bible study with someone. I just met them. We're just going through Daniel chapter 2. Brand new, okay? And as I'm going through Daniel chapter 2, she stops me in the middle of the Bible study. And she says, I'm just so glad that my mom is up in heaven looking down on me. What do you say? Is that the time to go into a whole Bible study on the state of the dead? Is that the time to say where mama really is? We don't have a relationship yet. She's not ready for that. Now, will there be a time? Absolutely. But first, I want to lay the foundation. I want to put up those walls, and then I can attach the roof. Okay? So how would I respond to her? Here's an example. You know, I too have lost loved ones, and it hurts when we don't see them, when we miss them so much. I am so thankful that one day soon we will see our loved ones in heaven again. Is that true? Is that the Adventist message? Absolutely. But did we just build a relationship? Can she agree with that? Certainly. And now from here, we're going to keep learning more truth. But we want to take those stepping stones. Does that make sense? Okay. Agree where possible and build that step, that path with them. Um, briefly now, as we close, we're going to look at something called Adventism's four C's. Has anyone asked you before, what do Seventh-day Adventists believe? Well, we don't eat this, we don't drink that, we don't go there, certainly don't touch Miss Piggy. Really? Is that what an Adventist is? What is our core? What is our center? What is so beautiful about Adventism? Recently, I was on a plane uh, headed back from, I think it was Albuquerque, and I met this young couple. They were Mormons. And they asked me, what do Adventists believe? I had already shared with them about what we have in common, and, and it gave me the opportunity to share something called the Adventist Four C's. As Adventists, we first and foremost believe in whom? Jesus Christ. What do we believe about Christ? He's the Son of God. A fully God, fully human. Sorry? He loves you, absolutely. Thank you. He's our Savior. He's our Creator. He's coming back. Right, okay. He's the resurrection, He's the life. All right, so that's the core, what we believe about Christ. Now, there are many reasons why it's important to start here. First and foremost, because Christ is our foundation. Christ is the center of every single one of our doctrines and beliefs. But secondarily, when we make statements such as you did about how God, Christ is fully God, fully man, that separates us from a few cults, does it not? It shows that I am a Christian. I believe that he is God fully God. He is the Son of God. So we believe in Christ. What else do we believe in? We believe in the cross. What do we believe about the cross? 
the saving power, our salvation, grace. What else do we believe about the cross? It saves us. It, yeah, Christ chose to go through that sacrifice. It reveals the love of God. It shows us that we too can have victory. Right, it's a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, as Christians, we also believe in the Ten Commandments. What do we believe about the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not. (laughs) What do we believe about the Ten Commandments? They're holy. They're the words of God, absolutely written in stone. They are his character, the character of God, written in stone. Character of God does not change. What else do we believe about the Ten Commandments? Why should we keep them? Good. It shows our love for Christ. John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, keep my commandments. So the center of the commandments is love. The commandments protect us. They guard us. The focus again is the love of God. Absolutely, His love for us. What an incredible world it would be if we all applied it. <laughs> if the commandments truly were written in our hearts. And lastly, as Adventists, we believe that Jesus is coming again. Do we realize how incredible and how radical that is? It is so easy for us to say, my Jesus is coming again, and then to live as though we don't believe it. I catch myself doing that. Getting distracted by the cares and the plans and strategizing about the future. And and Jesus is saying, I'm coming again. Where is our focus? Where is our passion? Do we truly believe that we will see our loved ones again? Do we truly believe that one day soon we will be with the Savior that died for us? Do we believe? Absolutely. Absolutely. As Adventists, the Bible, understanding the Bible for ourselves is crucial. It is the foundation. Jesus, we believe in Christ. Jesus is the word. The Bible is the word. It's a fulfillment of him. Good. So as Adventists, again, just summarizing this, we believe in the four C's. We believe in Christ. We believe in the cross. We believe that the commandments, we should keep the commandments. And lastly, we believe that Jesus is coming again. Is that a beautiful picture of Adventism? Yes, it is. That is who Adventists are. We believe Jesus is coming again. And as we close here, Steps to Christ, page 115. Jesus dwelling in you desires to speak to the hearts of those who are not acquainted with him. The reason we are here is because by God's grace, Jesus is dwelling in us. Jesus dwelling in you desires to speak to the family, to the friends, to the neighbors that are not acquainted with him. Pray for those divine appointments. Pray for God to open those doors, and without a doubt, he will. Without a doubt, he will open the way. Now, in closing here, many of us are afraid of doing evangelism. We're afraid of reaching out to our, our neighbors for Christ, our coworkers, because we're afraid, what if they ask a question I don't know the answer? I don't have my whole Bible memorized. How do I share with them? 
I know so little. What do I do? I found this quote recently in Christ's Object Lessons, and it brought so much encouragement to me with those same questions. Christ's Object Lessons, page 354. And it says, He who begins with a little knowledge in a humble way, and he tells what he knows while seeking diligently for further knowledge, will find the whole heavenly treasure awaiting his demand. The more he seeks to impart light, the more he will receive. The more one tries to explain the word of God to others with a love for souls, the plainer it becomes to himself. Can you say amen? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very true. It is very true. And God is promising here that as we share the light that we have been given, we will get more light. As we share the little bit that we know in a humble way, we will increase in knowledge. Do you want to have that experience today? That is the experience that Jesus is calling us to. Recently, I was helping out with a prophecy seminar. And as we were going through the seminar, it was about night four or five, I noticed this woman walk into the program. Now, when you, when you looked at this woman, who I'm going to call Ruby, you could tell that she'd been through a lot in her life. A lot. I was rather confident that she looked a lot older than she was. You could tell that there was a lot of hurt, there was a lot of pain, and, and she likewise was looking around for the, the exit. She wasn't comfortable coming into a church. You could tell she was, she was just not comfortable there in that atmosphere. And after the seminar ended that night, I had the opportunity to go and talk with her and, and get to know Ruby a little bit better. A lot of the church members also came close to her and were just building friendship with her. We found out that she didn't have a ride home that night, and so I volunteered and I took her uh, to her home that evening. The home that I later learned was her pimp's house. You see, Ruby was a prostitute and she was selling sex for drugs. And here I am dropping her off at her pimp's house. I didn't know that at the time. But Ruby continued to come to this prophecy seminar. And each night she's hearing about Revelation, but she's hearing Revelation chapter 1. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And she's seeing Jesus as the center of every single message. You see, Ruby came to these meetings because she was terrified. She's looking out at the crazy things happening in the world, and she's saying, I'm not ready for God to come. I'm not ready for Armageddon. Can I even be saved? And so when she saw that flyer for a prophecy seminar, she said, well, why not check it out? She continued to come faithfully every night, and it was beautiful. She would come to us with reports every evening. I haven't had drugs for this many days. I've been clean for this many days. Huge, huge victories in this woman's life. I remember one night in particular, she had, again, been coming to the seminar and accepting Jesus, and, and she had made the decision to go all the way with Christ, to turn her back on the past and have that new walk with Jesus Christ, but she was struggling. She's looking at her past and she's saying, how could God forgive that? For so many years I've been a prostitute. How could God forgive that? 
And I sat down with her on that pew and I put my arms around her and she was sobbing. And I said, Ruby, tonight Jesus has a promise for you. We opened our Bibles and we turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And the Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he is a? He is a new creature. He is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I said, Ruby, tonight that is Jesus' promise to you. You have accepted him as your Lord and Savior. You have confessed your sins. Today, Jesus is assuring you that when he looks at you, he does not see a former prostitute. When Jesus looks at you, he sees a virgin. Did you catch that? God can look at a former prostitute and he sees a virgin. Because you see, we serve a God that can make all things new. It was such a beautiful privilege to see Ruby walk into that watery grave of baptism and experience that new life in Jesus Christ. Truly, there is power in the word of God. We have experienced that power in our own lives. We have experienced that healing. We have testimonies that God has given to us. And today, he is calling us to share that power, to share that word with others. Pray for divine appointments. Pray for God to open doors. And by his grace, may we move with the Holy Spirit. Would you please stand with me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to praise your name because you are the God that makes all things new. Lord, we come to you and you know our hearts. You know our struggles and our victories. And I just thank you so much that you are the creator and you are the redeemer. Father, we have experienced that new life and that joy in you. And I pray, Lord, now that we may be able to share that with others. Please help us to to not forget this, Lord, but to have the burden of souls on our heart. Father, we pray that that burden for souls may press as hard upon our hearts as it does upon the Son of God. Please, Lord, may you open doors. May you give us those divine appointments. May you teach us to speak a word in due season. And for all these blessings... And for your grace, we thank you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.